Hey, just a quick PSA before we get started here. So the Responsible Investment Association holds an annual conference. It is probably Canada's largest conference for responsible investing and ESG investing. And it will be June 8th through 12th this year, so coming up in a couple weeks. It was supposed to be here in Toronto, but obviously now it will not be happening live and in person. It will be a virtual experience. And uh, it's taking place over the course of a week. The sessions break down where you have sort of a late morning, 11 a.m. to noon type of session. Sometimes on a couple days, there is networking kind of expo virtual event happening over lunch. And then there is a 3.30 to 4.45 session each day. So you kind of have a morning session and an afternoon session. It's not an all-day experience, you know, Monday through Friday, which would feel, I think, a little overwhelming on a virtual level. So kudos to the RRA for adapting to the virtual environment. And they will have opportunities to kind of ask questions and network and interact with other attendees. Looks like so far they've got over 700 people signed up. So it'll be a good turnout um, in this new world environment, uh, which is really interesting. And, you know, they break down the topic into kind of different themes on different days. You know, one day is dedicated to stewardship. Another day is dedicated to diversity and inclusion. There's a day specifically designed for analysts. And the final day is is really geared towards retail advisors. And so no matter kind of where you're coming from and your background and knowledge set, there's probably something in the conference for you. So if you're interested, check out iraconference.ca and you can register there. For members, I think it's $120 or $130. For non-members, it's closer to $150. And I think it'll probably be well worth it if you are interested in this space. Check it out, riaconference.ca. You're listening to the Impact Investing Podcast. I'm your host, David O'Leary. I'm a reformed free market capitalist who now spends his time trying to harness the power of the markets for good. And I started this podcast for anyone who wants to join me as I explore the world at the intersection of purpose and profit. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. You know, it's been a minute since uh, I recorded the last episode, and I wanted to um, share a couple uh, of updates uh, with everyone before we get on to this uh, next episode. For those who have been following the journey and the podcast, you'll know that I had been working at World Vision as well as Kind Wealth. Kind Wealth was a business I started before I joined World Vision. My work at World Vision came along, the work at World Vision came along, and I was very excited about my ability to use my expertise and intellectual and social capital to advance the their their work in that space. Uh, I love the work that World Vision does and the mission. And um, that work was wound down, uh, unfortunately, in uh, the beginning of this year. And uh, I want to take a minute to to talk about it because I, I don't want it to send a negative signal to the market about the potential for impact investing or market-based approaches in general, especially in a developing world context. So I won't get into all the details, but I'll just suffice to say that World Vision's decision to wind down that work had much more to do with the particular circumstances at World Vision and their strategic priorities at this point in time than it did have anything to do with the potent, the long-term potential and opportunity within uh, social finance or impact investing specifically. 
And so for those of you who are, you know, working at charities, nonprofits, INGOs, especially if you're working in a developing world context, I would not take that as a signal that it is not worth it for you to try or, or a proof point that this doesn't work. Um, it is challenging to be sure. There are lots of obstacles and hurdles and challenges to face like in any business endeavor, but it is, uh, I think it's worth our effort. And I think there's still a lot of opportunity there. For those who are interested, I'm uh, just continuing my work and gone back to full-time work at Kind Wealth, which I had been doing before joining World Vision. And I'm excited about the opportunity to address the inequality that exists in access to financial advice in this country. So I won't belabor that, but um, please uh, check us out if you're if you're curious to know what I'm up to there. And if you haven't already, I would really, 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 really appreciate it if you'd go and leave a review on iTunes. Uh, your reviews really help us rank higher in the search ratings and get us exposed to more people. And on that note, I just want to give a big thank you to Jason Pereira, who left a review. Um, anyone who leaves a review, I'm going to give you a shout out and a thank you on the podcast. So just to let you know, I, it does really mean a lot. I know it's a, taking a few minutes out of your day and you've got a million and one things to do. That's the last thing you need to do, but it means a lot. And now on to the podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. With me today, we have J.N. Gilfroy from Van City Community Investment Bank. J.N. is the chief executive officer there. J.N., welcome to the podcast. Thanks, David. Nice to be here. Yeah, I've been excited to have you on for a little while, but um, Van City's had some, you know, when sort of the shit hits the fan and things fall apart, you, I, I firmly believe is sort of when you see a test of both people and, and organizational character. And Van City is an organization and community investment bank, which you run here in Toronto, has really stepped up in a lot of ways. And so I'm excited to talk about some of that, including the, the new uh, impact investment offering that you guys have launched sure. yeah. for joining. So maybe I'll let you tell people what, what does Van City Community Investment Bank do? Yeah, so Van City Community Investment Bank is a subsidiary of Van City, as you as you uh, talked uh, in a, a second ago. So our vision is to finance a sustainable tomorrow, and our mission is to put the tools of finance uh, together to enable long-term and permanent uh, change in social uh, and environmental uh, sustainability. So, really, in the nutshell, we're 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 put in Ontario to grow uh, impact business that allows financing to move to need in the community. So financing things like affordable housing, financing clean energy, financing social purpose real estate, um, everything from, you know, working with the Parkdale Land Trust and helping folks who would have otherwise lost their homes because of gentrification, stay in their homes, through to financing of student co-op housing, um, through to financing of um, affordable rental units with Habitat for Humanity or affordable ownership with uh, options for homes. So really kind of that whole gamut of providing financing to those that are doing something good for the world. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe just um, talk a little bit about, you know, a is there a particular need for for that financing for kind of for purpose? Are you seeing 
like a glut of, of financing or is it difficult for a lot of these organizations to access financing and then B, what, why does Van City decide to do something like that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think this COVID uh, situation uh, demonstrates a, a theory of change that we've sort of believed in for a long time at the credit union and certainly in relaunching the bank in 2017. The idea that, you know, there's lots of lots of need to change some core systems in our world, uh, whether that's the way government money gets to need, whether that's the way the economy is structured, whether that's the way um, communities come together. But for sure, as we've gone through this, you've seen an increase in need as it relates to uh, folks on the ground needing money to grow their own business, be an entrepreneur, um, help some, somebody in the community. So, so the impact that we're seeing on, you know, people being unemployed, people losing their businesses, people, not-for-profits being able to, not able to, to provide the services that they originally were designed to do, that's been, I think, magnified through this, through this whole period of time that we're going through. So, so that's our, that's what our belief is, is that, you know, if you're going to change systems, you need to put money to do that. And our experience on the ground in real time, both in Vancouver for many, many years for Van City and in the bank has been, there's not a lot of other financial partners who are willing to put, put the money into those localized community deeply rooted not-for-profit organizations or social enterprises who have a mission and and purpose and profit purpose that there is a lack of interest because potentially the size of their organizations or because they don't understand how to how to look at them in a, in a specific way there's definitely a gap there in terms of money flowing to whether you want to call it main street or you want to call it the real economy or you want to call it whatever you want to call it we all know that money doesn't flow there. Capital doesn't flow there in the same way that capital flows to the large organizations in our country, you know, the large not-for-profits in our country. So I think there's a gap there in that sort of community-based um, structures that we that we all live within today. So that's what we're here to do. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's interesting. And um, do do you what do you think prevents some of the larger financial institutions from from understanding that doing that is it, is it a lack of understanding is it a lack of will is it some combination of, of the I two or combination of both. I think you know as our as our banks around around the country have grown to the size of the financial institutions that they are um, like any other business you can be choosier about the types of um, organizations you finance and I think they, they'll look for ones that have you know a similar credit profile a similar management structure a similar way of looking at at a profit and loss or whatever, right? They've got a standard way of looking at things. And then along comes a not-for-profit organization like um, Artscape, and they can't understand how that structure works, where the revenue comes in, how the money flows out, how it's governed. You know, they don't understand. So so part of it is just, you know, there maybe some of this, some of these organizations we're financing are big enough to get the attention. But part of it is it just doesn't fall within a clean sort of way of looking at how you mm. finance them. So I think that's where the Van City experience, you know, when we decided to relaunch the bank and focus in this space was largely because Van City had done this for many, many years and understood how to look at, you know, management structures and governance structures and, 
and granting as a as a form of um, revenue or fees or whatever. New had had you know many years of experience of financing organizations like that and also understanding that they weren't riskier. And I think there's a perception in banking that some of those organizations have a higher risk profile when really they don't because they're typically governed by people who care deeply about the purpose of the organization who are volunteering to be on a board. They're typically run by very shrewd, competent, you know, executive director. So, so you've got that management structure that really says they're pretty risk adverse anyway. And then you, if they need to get money there, it's, it's a diff, more difficult. So they, they, they don't default on their loans to any, any, greater degree than any other small business, probably less actually. So I think yes. it's understanding the model. Yeah. 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 That's re- really interesting that, um, you know, uh, the uh, talking about risk and understanding how to measure it. I mean, the, on, in the investment universe, the corollary is that you, you default to using past volatility as some sort of um, proxy for how risky mm-hmm. an investment is. And there are lots of, um, environments where that tends to be a reasonable measure uh, of of the future risk of a of an investment, and then there are certainly you know not an insignificant number of periods of times where where it's completely irrelevant that an right. entity was wasn't volatile in the past, and all of a sudden it is. And we saw that with the banks and financial institutions in the two thousand eight crisis. Um, yeah. And so. Uh, you know, understanding where risk truly lies is interesting, but I, it, it makes complete sense to me that you can have a world in which you're used to quantifying or, or uh, calculating risk, assessing risk in a certain framework, and something that doesn't fit that model, it takes a lot for you to try to break that tr- that habit of thinking, That's right. uh, B, and you need the willpower to start thinking and understanding new models. And if, I guess, the social impact space is 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 still relatively small, I mean, sorry, the for-profit social impact space, not the non-profit, yeah. um, it, um, it maybe hasn't just grown to a size to capture their attention just yet or give them the will to really go after it. And I, I, it makes me wonder whether we will see a day, day where, they, where they do and they finally catch on and they, they see that, hey, as you say, in some cases, it's actually lower risk because you've got mm-hmm. all these additional factors that they're not evaluating in their, in their credit applications. Yeah, and I think there's lots of evidence out there. If you look, if you, even if you look at the, you know, the for-profit large organizations who have been super successful in what they've done, like McCain Foods, you know, they are definitely purpose-driven as mm-hmm. well as profit-driven, or Danon Foods, or you know, like there's organizations that operate like that anyway, right? And so, and I think out of this whole experience, and certainly the momentum, you know, prior to this crisis happening for us was you know, whether it was looking for employees, what types of organizations they wanted to work for, or investors starting to move their money to socially responsible investment investing, you know, I think, and I think you'll see the people who did that, their portfolio from an investment perspective is probably in a much better shape Mm -hmm. than those who had still had all the money in the oil and gas and the old sort of, um, you know, industry. So I think the movement was there anyway. And I think there are those examples. Um, but I also think nobody had to move their money. And, you know, it's like you and I were talking, you know, all of a sudden we've become uber digital, all of us. We can work from home. We, we now do all our banking on our phones, right? We make all our payments with tap. We No more carrying cash. You know, 
we made that switch in six weeks, right? So the will to move, I think hopefully we'll gain some momentum as we come out of here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, So I'd be curious to hear more about kind of how you ended up where you are, Um, because I think for, for most of us over a certain age, we didn't grow up with a mindset of kind of purpose and profit intersecting. And, and it's wonderful now because kids are coming out of school going through young adults are going through programs where that's just all they've, all they've known. But um, for most of us, we've had to sort of come to it at a certain point in our career. So I'm always curious how people come to Mm. kind of the intersection of those things. So you can talk a little bit about your, your background trajectory and then we can, and you've been, you were with Van City prior to taking over VCIB. So yeah, a little more about Van City and, and their background too. Yeah. So I think, you know, I am, um, you know, my first career uh, for 20 years was in HR, maybe 25 years. So I think by nature of the fact that I had, I knew I wanted to do something in business and I worked in, you know, organizations like Rogers Communications and uh, I worked in the newspaper business. I worked in biotech. I worked in with BC Lottery Corporation. I worked with a municipal government. Um, I worked for a financial institution, all of them in an HR capacity. And I think, you know, H, as an HR professional, you automatically believe that people are the most important assets that you have in an organization, right? So very people-centric um, as, a, as a leader. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I think, you know, I was fortunate along my career path to you know, meet tons and tons of people as we were doing things around diversity and inclusion, um, you know, really looking at making sure we had diversity in our workforces, that we had people who were, you know, new to the country or had disabilities or whatever. So I think that I have a natural affinity towards all of that, right? It kind of comes with with the, my first career. Um, and then I was working in a financial institution, another credit union, and and, you know, they were, they had a percentage of their profits. So co financial institution that's cooperative. So I've kind of been in the publicly traded, publicly, um, you know, public private sector, you know, world of, of for profit, for profit, for, for profit. And then I moved into a, a, a credit union that had a much more of a kind of a community collective perspective where they gave a percentage of their after-tax profit back into community. And at the time it was, you know, maybe $10 million. And so I was very, I felt, I felt like, wow, this is awesome. I get to, you know, hone my craft of HR in an organization that also has a purpose. And sort of over my career, I I also made, made choices around the types of organizations I would go work for. So they had to have a purpose-driven mission. They had to have a connection to people. And so I was able to kind of choose that as my career progressed. And then I, and then I was, while I was with uh, the organization, the other financial institution I was with, I took on a role to implement a banking system. So I went from HR to technology. And then Van City came and and asked if I would come put in that same piece of technology uh, within their organization. So so I was already kind of felt like I had had found my home in an organization that had people and mission and profit kind of balanced. And then I came to Van City and it was like on steroids. So, you know, everything that organization does from, you know, how it's designed its procurement practices to um, the way it treats employees, to living wage, being a living wage advocate out in the community, to giving 30% of after-tax profits to the community, 
to being environmentally sustainable within within the four walls and being an advocate of that. So it just took it all. And I was like, whew, I finally arrived here. So so even though I wasn't working specifically on those things, I was working on the technology side and the digital side, um, definitely felt that it was aligned with my values. And I think as you say, as you as you my experience aging is that stuff becomes more important to you the older you get. You know, like you're just you you don't want to just be working for for the paycheck you want to be doing something that you love to do and and do something so when the opportunity came up to come to the bank i immediately put up my hand knowing that it was going to be an organization that was going to be designed for uh the mission that we have and also who gets to set up a bank in the year 20 i think it was 2018 at the time like who actually gets to do that and do it in a way that's designed for the customer instead of um, being a bank that has been like this forever and ever and ever, and your processes are your processes. So I love the, the I love the combination of the purpose driven part of what we do, and the opportunity to really build something that's going to work for customers. So that's yeah. how I got here. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I remember uh, being at the there's an event at the CSI, and Tamara, uh, the CEO yeah. of Band City, yeah. announced the the VCIB being launched and. Remember at the time, just I was still, you know, relatively new to the um, impact investment space, and just like, oh, what's a community investment bank? And that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and as you say, it's not every day there's a new <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, bank uh, launched. Um, so it definitely stuck out in my mind, and it's been made it a lot more fun to watch the progression and um, evolution uh, mm-hmm. of it since. Um, can you? So, like, I'm, I'm just I'm going to digress for a second. I'm really curious about. Um, I, so Van City's started, like it's, it's entire mission from day one, wasn't it to, to provide banking services to kind of the, the side of Vancouver that, or at least that was a meaningful. Yes. Part it's, it started on the downtown. It started on the east, east side of Vancouver. It started right. 60 years ago after the war when, you know, many of the people who lived on the east side of Vancouver, like the east side of Toronto, couldn't get money from a conventional bank. And so it started with a group of people coming together and forming a credit union so that they could buy houses, which is really what it was meant, how it first started, right? So let's pool our money so that as we come back from the war and want to um, have a place to live and a, and a family to raise, that we can actually buy something. So lots of immigrant kind of populations coming into Canada at the time. So that's how it started. That's what its roots were. So very much based in e- on the east side of the city, for sure, for the first you know number of years. And then, you know, cooperatively owned. So you have a, the value system around, you know, one voice, one vote, right? So you've got democracy already embedded in that. Um, and then on top of that, then a social mission around, you know, helping others do, you know, gain what the people on the west side of the city had access to being able to provide the money. And then over time, obviously, that grew to, you know, 600,000 members today and 26 billion in assets, some, you know, amalgamations along the way. Um, and it was probably in the 80s um, when they really started to focus on um, social impact, social responsibility, environmental sustainability. Prior to that, it was probably a financial institution for its local community. And then the 80s really started to kind of focus on this whole idea of, of particularly environmental sustainability. And of course, being in Vancouver, you know, you know, as the eve of the ex, of Expo 86 or whatever, it was sort of it sort of the trajectory 
change from there. So, but the roots are very deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think it's interesting that I think it, I'm, I'm curious for if you have a perspective on like how difficult is it, or is it even possible for an organization that isn't bo- like Van City was born to solve mm-hmm. a problem, right? Like with mm-hmm. a mission in, in, in mind, and then it colors everything that you do and how you mm-hmm. see the how you see the world and how you tackle problems and how you view your business, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, hey, we've set up and we sell consulting services or we you know make shoes or we do whatever, and then oh, we're going to do that responsibly, and then oh, how else can we kind of leverage our our business to make positive impact. I mean, to me, there's a, a meaningful difference between um, those two things. And I think that it's uh, obviously you can become more responsible and you can think about you know, your organization as a platform, but trying to change that culture and, and mm-hmm. view everything as an opportunity. It just seems to me it's a lot more powerful when a company is born to solve a, a mission, a problem. That to me is kind of the, the definition of, of an of a business that I would consider an impact investment as opposed yeah. to a socially responsible investment where we're going to kind of yeah. do, do no harm. I, I'm curious if you think that that's a really important feature or, or you know, there's no reason to say that a, a large think, traditional business can't turn. I think that, yeah, I think a large, so I think there was a time in Vance city's history where it wasn't focused on social responsibility. It wasn't focused on, it was focused on, on competing with the banks. It was focused on, being a I think in in fact the tagline was we want to be a better bank Mm. right so so I think I think it all comes down to leadership really I think right so if Mm. you have the right leader at the helm of an organization um, who can rally the organization to move in a new direction um, and people can get and people get behind it and you deal with I think that I think you have to to your point I think the difference between some an organization that's socially responsible and an organization that's purpose driven or, you know, at the core is, you know, there are lots of organizations out there who do something on the philanthropic side to make them feel better. Right. So I make a ton of money over here and I give a ton of money over here. But, you know, if you're a leader who wants to, you know, have a purpose driven organization and alignment, you got to make a bunch of changes inside that organization to make that message real. So procurement practices, you know, so how do you make sure you've got procurement practices where you're only dealing with organizations who think like you, right? How do you make sure your hiring practices, you know, are are really aligned to your values? How do you make sure, you know, your, the business that you're doing is the business that connects to your values? And so Van City went through a very, um, a very kind of process driven way of going from being a better bank to being back to, you know, focusing on providing members and communities with um, a healthy tomorrow. Like it was a journey. It was a probably a 10 year journey to kind of get to where it is today, which means, you know, what we witnessed in the last six weeks was making very fast decisions about even before the banks came out and said they would defer payments Van city was already doing that already setting up a special fund, the only one to defer credit card payments. Like, so it was like, boom, 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 boom. Here's all the things that we're going to do for our members and at the bank too, because we automatically think like that. Right. So, but it, there was definitely a journey. So I think Van City has not like its roots were there. The roots were super deep. The roots were people super strong. The values haven't changed, but there was a time when it was, it was more cool, I guess, to be associated with being a better bank. And then, you know, Tamara, I think really brought back the roots 
took mm. those roots and brought them back to life. And it's taken about taken 10 years to kind of, you know, work through some of that cultural, you know, how do you align compensation and how do you make decisions and how do you, how do you put, you know, businesses that you're looking at working with, how do you put them to this lens about their governance practices and their hiring practices and their, their environmental footprint and all that kind of stuff. So it's taken time to kind of build up that, uh, the cadence of where, of where it is today. The beauty of the bank was it was all, you know, it was, it was an, it was an old bank that was wound down and a shell was kept, but, you know, a lot of thought at the board level went into re revamping it, bringing it back to life. And, you know, the gift to me was it was super clear that anything we were going after new had to be impact period. Right. So, so to your point, the people that I've been able to bring on into the team automatically knew that that was what their job was, right. Automatically understood that our, how we look at partnerships and relationships and all that stuff is built on, you know, the, the strength of what came from the parents and how we go out into the, you know, the idea of reciprocity as a cooperative value, the idea of, you know, diversity and inclusion, the idea of cooperation, the idea of, right. Of, of, of profit only to fulfill the mission of, you know, getting more money out to, to the network. So, so yeah, so I've been, and people have been super attracted to that. I have no problem hiring people. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> right? Like I don't, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know. 100%. I mean, it's a trend that's just only continuing to grow stronger and stronger. So people, you know, they have options and they want, why do why work for money to do something you don't love and feel good about when okay. you can? <laughs> so yeah. you've got, yeah, yeah, uh, 100%. The, so... Um, you mentioned kind of, you know, bringing new people on and, and uh, adding people that, that have been great. Um, so I want to touch on that. We'll come back to that with the co-power acquisition yeah. that uh, you guys had, which I think is really interesting for listeners of this podcast. Um, but um, maybe just take a moment to describe, like, in practical terms, can you sort of talk a little bit about the um, products and services that you offer? So we, uh, so we've been, you know, we've been on the ground building as we go. That's how I would describe that. So we really just started with a commercial mortgage and a deposit product. So we've been two years, you know, growing our business and serving community need with two products, a commercial mortgage and a deposit product. When we, when we acquired CoPower, we then had the opportunity to do bonds and project financing but all, you know, kind of a loan and a deposit. We now have, uh, we have a full banking system in place now that we're going to be able to do all banking transaction accounts and lending, other kinds of lending, like lines of credit and working capital loans and, you know, you know, short-term um, HESA accounts and long-term GICs and all that kind of stuff. So we'll have a digital front end up and running by June you know, we, we've got kind of, we're going to have a full suite of banking products. We'll have a visa product. So we're, so we now have the container that we've been building as we went, but we, what we really just were able to do kind of real estate related uh, loans and um, long-term investments of GICs or term deposits at, uh, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, one year, three year, five year, and not have the kind of the transactional capabilities that we will have we have in house now, but we'll have that we can deliver out to the marketplace in June. Awesome! So the idea there is to be able to do kind of be a one-stop shop for 
yep. business or social purpose or social energy businesses. Yeah. 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 And we think, we think coming out of, you know, we think that there'll be new segments of, of markets that will emerge out of the situation that we're in, that we will be delighted to help them out. Right. So, you know, we look at environmental sustainability. So we have the clean energy piece with coal power, right. We've got the ability to do solar and wind and, and all that kind of geothermal and, you know, LED lighting and retrofits of buildings and all, we've got all that capability now, but we also think out of this, you know, things like food safety, obviously is going to become more of a priority for us. Um, you know, I think the localization of manufacturing, you know, we, we'd already talked about, you know, kind of three economies around the circular economy. So everything to do with reuse, repurpose, you know, as we look at financing, um, you know, building retrofits or um, heritage buildings or whatever. We talk about the craft economy, which is already starting to emerge with, you know, local breweries and, you know, towns getting revitalized, whether it's Prince Edward County or whatever, because they've come out of a, a, an old economic model into a new. And I think we're going to see more of that, you know, coming where more localized manufacturing for sure, um, you know, associated probably with healthcare and, and then I think the technology, I think it's interesting, technology, you know, is sort of the last frontier where many financial institutions don't always are a little less comfortable with technology, right? But I think there's a ton of technology organizations that are purpose-driven. They've built their technology for something positive, right? Or they think like that as an employer because they have to attract the best and the brightest. So I think there'll be some new emerging segments for us to think about, David, and what we would have thought about six weeks ago. Hmm, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's for, we're certainly all being forced to think about what the new normal is going to look like as we come out of this and what implications that all has for our, our businesses. Um, mm-hmm. Just riffing off of the kind of conversation we had as we started this podcast around filling a need where, you know, sometimes you're dealing with clients who businesses that aren't able to access financing through a traditional bank or lender um do you have a do you have is there any sort of prominent example you have in mind of like a type of organization or i don't know if you can sort of share any details on like hey here was a business and they couldn't get financing because of xyz and we saw them and looked at them and they were a fantastic fit for x y and z reasons to sort of just like put a color around this idea of like you know traditional financial institutions lenders are not looking not seeing these factors and here's an example of that yeah, you know, I think there's one, um, you know, not-for-profit housing developer who we've had a long-term relationship with, and they're now getting to the size where they're they're pretty big-ticket um, projects. And so, so you know, we understand their management structure, how they're how they're set up. They've been around for 20 years. They've got super strong balance sheet. They got super strong management, and as we look to, um, you know, help them out as they got bigger, and you know, we've only got so much access to capital. We were talking to getting them some partnerships in the banks, big banks, and these. This is a like a like I said, very well-run organization, very strong management. You know, like for all intents and purposes, from a risk perspective, low risk on the risk scale could not get any of the financial institutions to be interested in syndicating loans with us because was this a nonprofit or a for-profit non-profit builder, mm-hmm. but a big one. And, uh, 
and it was like just craziness that they so we figured it out we got we found other partners and we made the deal happen because i think where we can i think one of the the thing one of the reasons we were called a community investment bank was to bring that sort of investment banking idea to social purpose right so you know we were able to look at how you stack capital and partner with whether it's foundations or other money government money or other money we can figure out how you stack that in a way that makes the 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 outcome uh, um, real. So, so yeah, so, but when we went to ask other financial institutions if they're interested, they said, yeah, we're interested. And then when we started showing them, they're like, oh, we have no idea how to do that. Like, mm. I don't know. So, yeah, so that would be an example of, of a situation cool. that we sort of had to deal with. Interesting. Um, okay, well, maybe why don't we dive into a little bit on, on um, CoPower and that acquisition. Yeah. So maybe share a little bit about you know, what, what, what interested you guys in the first place and what were you seeing as like, Oh, we acquired them. Here's what we could do. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, so definitely, uh, like I said, the the whole, um, the whole view of the bank was that we would be able to provide financing and capital to, you know, everything on that spectrum of impact. Right. And so always knew that we wanted to do something around environmental financing. Um, but, you know, as you're growing a business and you're starting out, you have to pick like swim lanes that you're going to sort of start in. Right. And so we knew how to do real estate related transactions, you know, so that was kind of swim lane number one that we picked. And so, you know, we knew if we needed to go, if we wanted to go into other things, even the business banking that we're in now, we need to add talent that have some of that capability and, you know, investment, we need to add talent who have some of that capability. So we knew we didn't have any capability around environmental sustainability, but we knew we wanted to build it. Um, but I'd kind of, you know, put that in a 2021, 2022 kind of plan. Um, and and we knew CoPower. We had, you know, we had worked with them at the credit union. We, Van City had been an investor in their first green bond offering, had a warehouse facility for them to access capital when there was the kind of trying to figure out the business. So we were, we knew who they were. And so, and we'd met them and, you know, very values aligned and all that kind of stuff. So, so when they were looking for partner partnership early last year, we said, yeah, we'd be interested in talking to you. And then we quickly realized that the best way to partner with them would be to bring them into the bank, which would allow us to continue with the great work that they were doing around you know, offering an investment vehicle through a bond for investors to invest directly in the projects that are being financed. We love that. But now we also have the capability of the bank to bring in capital to be able to accelerate that, right? So we had a team of people, really important because we didn't have the team before. We now had technology because we didn't have the technology. And we had a way of kind of using both the balance sheet of the bank and the operation of the of the of co-power to enable acceleration into environmental sustainability. So that was that was why we did it. And how's um, how how big of a um, task is it to kind of acquire and then integrate it's co-power? It's a big and, task. Yeah. yeah, you know, nobody. You know, I think it. I think we've done well in terms of integration for sure. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to get through the deal process. It's a lot of work. To, it was a lot of work to get get it through our regulator because we're a federally regulated financial institution. Um, it's a lot of work to to take an entrepreneurial organization and throw them into a regulated financial institution, even though we're small, right? 
And so, and you don't want to lose that entrepreneurial mindset and that, that drive, that passion. So integrating the passion, integrating the values of two organizations, integrating brands, you know, creating the processes that fit with, you know, a new organization that has legacy in both, even though it wasn't that long, like all that stuff takes time. And we're not through that. We're still working through kind of the integration. Hopefully by the end of this year, we'll have, you know, sort of the policies and procedures and, technology and all that stuff sort of ironed out um but i think at the at the same time we've been able to you know launch a new green bond offering we launched in february we think we got five million dollars you know we've been able to finance three or four projects that were already in their pipeline we've got bigger stuff coming to us so i think you know all of it sort of you know doing and planning and organizing at the same time, right? So kind of keeping all that sort of stuff happening all as things go. Yeah. So yeah. are you um, talking about new things happening? Are you expecting any new um, investment products? Yeah. So we uh, so we definitely have, we'll, we'll launch, like we launched another bond series for the green bond that we have today. Is but, anything open right now? Um, no. No, no okay. got, so this will be got, a new one. Yeah, a new one, yeah. And we have to kind of like, we got to do the dance of what's in the pipeline and when's that going to be financed so that we can make sure that the money that we're bringing in from investor perspective gets deployed, right? You don't want it sitting too long. So it is a kind of a fine balance between those two things. But yeah, the whole goal uh, into 2020 is, 2021 is to uh, invest in the techno- technology platform that came with CoPower uh, to be able to do other bonds and maybe even other funds and maybe even be a provider of a platform for others who want to do that. We get lots of those questions from different uh, different folks. And so we'll look into that as part of and do a business case for our board about that. Um, but for sure, other bonds. So affordability comes to mind as kind of a no-brainer. People want to uh, invest in something that's going to create that. Um, you know, other forms of bonds around environmental sustainability, so conservation, you know, food safety, like I think lots of people, I think the model of I get to see directly where my money goes, right? It's not, yeah. it's not, you know, I'm not looking at a mutual fund and wondering, you know, how much of this is really impact. It's actually, oh, okay, my money is going to provide financing for these four projects that are doing X, Y, Z, and W. Love it, right? Like, I think that's the I think that that sort of transparency um, is really important, I think, for investors. Yeah. I mean, if, to the extent you can create, as you used to talk about kind of investing in the technology, um, a platform where, you know, people who want to make impact investments can go and have that done relatively painlessly um, mm-hmm. and, and efficiently. I think it will do a lot to drive um, dollars into the impact investment space because it's still such a clunky process yeah and i mean you know, my, you know my team i've got a couple of people who are looking at impact measurements right because we want to be able to you know we know we do everything in impact but we want to be able to say with transparency to those organizations who want to bank with us or want to join us on financing things here's our scorecard mm-hmm. and you know it, it makes my head crazy if i look at all of the different standards out there mm-hmm. and we're trying to figure out which ones do we line up with? Do we line up with the UN ones? Do we line up with the, 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 there's like, I don't know, five or six different. And I think all of that confusion, you know, also it, it creates inertia, right? Because some of the big 
the big players, global big players, they can say they're doing it, but are they really, to your point, are they really doing it or not? And, you know, because then they can say, well, we don't, you know, the standards aren't clear yet. So, you know, like you've got all that sort of noise. So I'm a, pra- a practical person, a pragmatist. And so I like saying, here's where your money's going. You know, we can say, you know, we are financing affordable housing. And this year we've built, you know, we finance projects that have created you know, 600 units of affordable housing. Right. Super simple. Bring your money to us. You know where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, and so I mentioned at the outset, kind of the organization sort of showing its character and its, and its values. So another um, two things I want to talk about. One is the unity GIC that you guys launched, which I guess is a new impact investment offering from, from your standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then the work that you've, done uh, with the coalition and with the Toronto Foundation. Mm-hmm. Maybe chat about those. Yeah, so so we uh, we launched on Monday last week. We launched our Unity Term Deposit. It's a one-year, 3% um, term deposit for organizations. We don't yet have a retail investor capability on our banking platform, but we will at some point. So it would be organizational investment. investment. And the intention of that money is to turn around and put that money to help organizations coming out of this. So financing organizations who are coming out of this situation. So whether that's not-for-profits or social enterprises or entrepreneurs, but we really want to be able to say if we raise $10 million or whatever, that $10 million we're going to put towards making sure that it's going to financing those who are emerging out of here. Um, So that was the intention of it. And City, our parent, did the same thing, and they they raised $200 million, but they were able to do both retail and organizational institutional investors. And then they've already started to deploy that into their small community business team through some financing around if you need to upgrade your technology or you want it, you need to be able to do something so you can deliver your food instead of having people like to invest in working capital that allows um, those members to transition their business to be successful into the future. So our thinking is the same, like bring the money in, put that money out to good use. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, 3% right now in a one-year GIC is real good. So it's really good. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yep. Um, and Van City doesn't uh, doesn't uh, offer retail banking in tr- uh, tr- Ontario, does it? No. Okay, just BC. Just BC. Yeah, so I thought. Okay. Um, and then the the work with Toronto Foundation. Yeah, so we are actually really proud of that. So yeah. we are working with Toronto Foundation, actually Toronto Foundation, Hamilton Foundation, and the Ottawa Foundation. So we were able to when when this was all sort of happening the first week we were like, oh my God, like, what do we do? Like all of these community organizations that we've, we've known are, are going to be in deep trouble and what can we do about it? And so we got a little bit of seed money from uh, the parent and we've been able to put a little bit of money into three foundations. And collectively, I think they're north of about $5 million, maybe five to $6 million between the three foundations. Um, and the whole goal of those three programs are called different things depending on which foundation is leading it. But the goal is to get the money directly to those organizations that are, fine, that are getting money to the street to help with food, shelter, health care. And so, you know, Sharon at, um, at the Toronto Foundation is also doing these weekly webinars profiling some of those organizations, right? So, you know, really basic stuff like, you know, need to feed kids who used to get 
fed at the school when they went to elementary school and now that they're home, there's, they don't have any food or, you know, women who are, are pregnant, teenage, teenage women who have, you know, no, no finances to be able to pay for anything. So it's really meant to be a flow through, through the foundation directly to, and I think the last count I saw on Sharon's foundation, I think they've helped about a hundred, hundred small not-for-profits. And some of these not-for-profits have been around for like a hundred years or more. Right. And they were like completely decimated. So, so yeah, we feel really good that our little bit of money has now grown into, you know, it was really to start a movement and catalyze it. And And so we're excited about that. So, so now they're, you know, the foundations are, they would have put money in it anyway, but, and for the Toronto foundation, we also helped with their technology on the webinar stuff. So, you know, trying to be a community advocate, trying to, you know, to your point, in, in time of, oh my goodness, what could happen? You know, it was really exciting for us to do something that we knew that was really going to make a difference and make us feel like we were contributing immediately to the need. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really cool. Um, the, um, I, you know, for those who haven't listened to the, um, episode 10 with uh, where Sharon Avery was on and don't know about community foundations. I say they're kind of the cities and communities across Canada's best kept secret or work. Totally. Best, kept, yes. best kept secret, but it's a bad secret to keep because people don't know they exist and they're such an amazing resource. I know. So I, and, I talk and she, about it and, a she, lot. and she said, she, she, re, she said some stats on one of the webinars I was at, like the big foundations, you know, the hospital foundations, the big, you know, national not-for-profits, they're all going to survive because people, you know, all the corporate money goes there. But, you know, the, the biggest challenge in any urban city is the stuff that's happening on the ground. And you know, if it weren't for the community foundations, like whether it's, you know, Ottawa, Hamilton, Toronto, McConnell, I don't know, Community Foundations of Canada, that umbrella organization, all the foundations that fit underneath that. Yeah. They're the ones that are really working on the ground, right? Working to kind of create the, the uh, so- solve the problems of the real economy or the real issues in their community. So we were happy to kind of put our money there. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's like the vital signs reports that, that mm-hmm. they put out and I'm familiar with Toronto foundations cause I'm closest to them, but the, you know, and, and then just the, their ear to the ground and hearing from the, you know, the, the, the myriad of, of nonprofits and their small, medium, large ones all across the city. And there's so many of them. And it's hard, like, you just, it's mind blowing. Like I, I lived, lived in Toronto my whole life. And when I got connected with Toronto foundation, you just starting to get involved, you start to hear about and learn about these organizations you had no idea existed mm-hmm. serving needs that you had no idea existed mm-hmm. in your own city. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Toronto is a reasonably big city, but it's like, you know, the, it's unbelievable to me how, how diverse it is and how much need there is and how completely unaware of it you can be. Um, and so yeah. you have nowhere else to go if you want to like, if you're wrestling with the question of like, what do I I, I want to support, I want I want my money to go where it's most needed. Yeah. A community foundation. And if you want it to be at home near in your community is a great, such an amazing. I, to- I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then the Van and Van city was able to do the same with the Vancouver foundation Vancouver, yeah. and has our own foundation, the Van city foundation. So I think we align at that level and we've, 
you know, we've done other things with them, right? Whether it's financing uh, deals and the patient, they would bring in the patient capital for those that have sort of looked at their own investment portfolio and decided they didn't want to just, you know, philanthropically give the money, but they also wanted to use their investment portfolio to do the good things in the community. So, so there's a, a great strategic alignment there between our mission and our, our purpose and their mission and their purpose. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'll, I want to end off just with a, a final question about kind of the future. And do you like, given everything we're going through right now, it, it we were again chatting at the outset about w- what does this mean for the world and what the new normal looks like? Can you talk a little bit about what do you, what do you see the effects, if any of, what we're going through right now, having in particular on kind of the social purpose, the impact investment space, social purpose organizations, do you see there this being sort of a benefit and presenting challenges? Do you have any thoughts on? Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of challenges for the one, the ones we were just talking about, right? Those small, whether it's a small entrepreneurial organization or a small not-for-profit, I think it's going to be really difficult for them to come out of this with, um, you know, they're not going to come out of it in the short term and some of them won't come out of it at all. Mm-hmm. So I think there is, you know, definitely some thoughts or questions I have around um, you know, how do you pool resources? I, I know this is a conversation that people have had over time, right? But do you form a co-op of, you know, all of the, you know, uh, all of the childcare workers so that you do create that economy that allows, you know, independent operators to run their own centers, but in, within a collective that can weather a storm like this again, because I don't think this will be our last pandemic, as you and I talked about. You know, we, we've only seen version one of this. So, you know, this could be a version two, version three. So I think there's that, you know, there's that unfortunate scenario that there, that some won't survive for sure. But then there's also the hopefulness of me says, you know, lots of entrepreneurial spirit in not-for-profits and in businesses. And if you look at their track record, this will just be a blip in time and we'll look back on and we'll think we learned a lot. And I think what we've learned is, um, the value of human connection. So I don't know about you, but I'm dying to actually physically see the people who are in my professional network and my personal network. Cause I ran into a friend of mine at the grocery store. We didn't, we, you know, within distance, but yeah. it's like, wow, so this nice. is really weird, weird to see you in real life. But I think we need, we need to come together as human beings. That's who we are. So I, I don't think this will be our permanent normal. I think we'll, we'll come back to, um, working together and 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 um, finding solutions together as people, um, but I, I also see lots of hope. So I, I do think that um, that there will be a lot of new things that emerge out of here, new industries, new opportunities, new ways of thinking. Um, you know, a willingness maybe that we we'd forgotten about, right? Whether that's you know you don't need to move at lightning speed, or if you just ask for help people will step into that that space that you need right i think we've learned to do a lot more kind of helping each other in this time than maybe uh, at times of the past and so i think you know i hold out lots of i'm an optimist and i think there'll be a ton of new opportunities and ideas that come out of this i think we'll hopefully we'll look at things like that universal wage like we should just go there right as a country so i think some of that i'm i'm hoping that this sort of foundation of you know, getting money out to everybody who is unemployed and then into the students and then into not-for-profits and the sort of the way the government has done that, I hope leads to that broader conversation about 
you know, the world has changed so much. The digital divide is continuing to grow between the haves and the have-nots. You know, we do need a different kind of base for our people in this country. So I think maybe that will start to fuel some new thinking, some new opportunity. On the investment side, I think the wave, I think we were on a wave, right? I think we were on a wave of more and more and more people wanting to invest in something that has meaning. I think that wave is getting bigger. Yeah, I, I was going to ask about that specifically, because yeah. uh, yeah. on the one hand, well, the, the the flip side to that argument is just that people's you know, investments have fallen and now maybe they feel less capable of trying yeah. something new and different. No, I just got to make sure I get the best return for myself. And so to yeah. the extent people have the thought that, you know, you can't, you can't generate just as good a return doing something positive, it might cause them to pull back. But, uh, you know, that said, I, I think there is the, the other side of it, which is everything you just mentioned. People are flexing their empathy muscles that probably have been dormant for <laughs> in a lot of us for a long time, because you're seeing yeah. it's right in front of your face, what's happening. That's right. Everybody has a story of somebody who has been, you know, horribly impacted by this, right? And want and have reached out to help. And I think even simple things like people going out at 7 p.m. to bang pots and pans for healthcare workers or you know, everybody singing Okana on Sunday or whatever, I think has demonstrated that, that the, the power of the collective. And I think, you know, I'm a believer that, you know, the future of business is all about reciprocity. And I think reciprocity happens when I help you and you help me and we create something a lot more meaningful than I take from you and you take from me. So, you know, I, I, am hoping that, that, that world will evolve and there'll be more and more people who, who, who find that better balance between taking care of just me and taking care of my community, I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm like you and I'm an optimist. So I can admit that bias, but I, I also agree with what you're saying around like even things like universal basic income and, you know, exposing like this pandemic is, um, I think, exposing the flaws in the system. Yeah. So there was a great piece in the Atlantic talking about the, you know, the authors arguing the U.S. is a failed state, and for the sure. pandemic didn't create it. It's just revealing mm -hmm. those problems. And for instance, you know, your healthcare coverage being tied to your job is highly problematic when everyone's out of work, right? And you now lose your healthcare coverage. That problem didn't wasn't on the surface. You didn't see it. You didn't notice it as much, you know, mm -hmm. at scale. And now we're seeing it and noticing it at scale. And here in Canada, even like, you know, just realizing I was talking to, to, to somebody about, about this, um, the fact that, you know, there are people now, you know, my wife and I, for instance, don't want to have to have to go into stores if we can avoid it at all. And there's a lot of business doing curbside pickup. Yep. So we, wherever possible, we, we do that. Um, but there are now people going around there advertising like, hey, I'll go into the stores for you and buy your food for you and come deliver it. And it's just, and and so from a, I think from maybe from a, um, a logical standpoint, it probably does make more sense to have fewer people going into the stores and collecting for others. But there's something that feels a little icky about, oh, here's $15 and you go into the yeah. store. I didn't yeah. want to have to do it. Yeah. I don't yeah, want to expose right? myself to that risk. Yeah. But yeah. You know, when you think about it, it is what we do every single day in a capitalist society is I'm going to pay somebody choices. else to do those that's things right. that is too risky, yeah. that's unhealthy, that I don't want to do. Yeah. And and so it's just exposing again those mm -hmm. those issues and making us think about them and you can't not see it right whereas in the, I think life before this you could push those things away and not have to encounter them in mm -hmm. a very meaningful way and so I think that having to encounter it and and experience it viscerally because it's people you know and you're it's right in your face 
hopefully will lead people to be more empathetic and more understanding and hopefully the, a greater desire for things like universal basic income. And like, I appreciate how somebody could be out of work and in need and, you know, it not be as easy as we'll just get a job, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Anyway. I also think, I think it's been just delightful to see into people's houses, to have the kids come in, into the zoom meetings, <laughs> to have the pets going crazy, to have, to have, to have a, all of us recognize that we are always in a state of chaos and it's okay. You can still get your work done. Even if you have a three-year-old and a five-year-old at home, it's very, I find it welcoming to have all that. And the, and sort of that veneer that you had to be a, this person at work and this yeah. person at home has completely evaporated. Yeah, yeah. And I also, I also think like we've been talking about why are people coming to work sick? Yeah. Stay home. Yeah. So there is no reason at all ever for anybody to get on a plane, to drive to work, to go into the office when they're hacking and sneezing and coughing. They don't need to do that. Stay home, get on Zoom, and stop this crazy behavior, right? So I look look forward to kind of a more tolerant world around, you know, all of us have, whether it's kids or parents or somewhere in between, all of us have life challenges, mental health. Like, I don't know, just name it, right? Yeah. So, and all of that has come out loud and clear in terms of how we, I mean, I've been, I've been on Zoom calls with people in their bedrooms because that's the only space they have. I've been on Zoom calls with people in their kids' bedrooms or in the, yeah. I had the one last week, the guy was hilarious. It was in his basement and he's like big tall guy and he could, his head's almost touching the ceiling and in behind him is like, you know, cleaning supplies and stuff. And we're all doing it and, you know, right. nobody's getting their hair done. Right. Like, right. All the personal yep. groom, like all that stuff has gone away. All the veneer of the facade of who we are and who we aren't is gone. So, you know, yeah. I think that's, that's going to be healthy for us. Yeah. It, it, it's leveling. And it's, uh, as you say, lifting up the uh, curtain and just yeah. smashing worlds together, the work world and our personal world. And that, and like even things like the number of people who are going to apply for and receive the CERB, yeah. the, the government relief, are going to be people who have never, ever been on EI before. I know. And they'll now be on EI effectively. Yeah, for sure. And just appreciating like, oh, right, it could happen to me too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I hope that just really leads to a lot more tolerant, as you say, tolerant world. And I'm hopeful and optimistic that it will. I think the longer and deeper this goes, the longer more sustained that effect will be on us. I know. I'm, I'm desperately wanting us to get out of this quickly, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but, uh, yeah, the, but, the, uh, but, but, but we need to be responsible. Right. Yeah. But the quicker we get out of it, the shorter our memories may be. I'm, I'm worried. Yeah. So like, yeah. anyway, yeah. I don't want it to go per- persist, of course, but, but the, uh, the more, I hope, I just hope it, it sticks with people and that we, it's some kind of a lasting change, but me too. anyway, um, listen, I really appreciate you coming on as a social entrepreneur myself. Um, I love that VCIB exists. Um, I do Thanks, think David. it's very needed. Um, mm-hmm. the, the access to financing, I've seen it firsthand uh with my work with Kindwell. So yeah. um it's it's really great work that you're doing and uh thanks. And it's been a fun conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I appreciate right. it. Okay. Talk thanks, soon. Man. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to the Impact Investing Podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd be incredibly grateful if you left a review on iTunes. And uh, heads up, we're now available on most audio platforms, which includes iTunes, but also Spotify, Google, Overcast, you name it. And also can now use Siri to listen to the podcast. By saying, hey Siri, play the Impact Investing Podcast. Here's to the Impact Investing Podcast. 
Yeah, just like that. You're listening to the Impact Investing Podcast.